In continuing our series on the Beatitudes, Pastor Steve has already mentioned that you need to have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to go ahead and encourage you to also uh, have a finger or a mark in Romans chapter 7. We're going to reference that as well through the course of our time together. These specific text will be put on the screen behind me when that time comes, and they'll give you the reference so you can kind of turn and see which verses we'll be referring to. But I'm very excited about this series, and I was blessed by Pastor Steve's opening up or kicking off the Beatitudes series this past week. Many of you might not know, but we, behind the scenes, prepare these messages in a specific way, and all of us as a teaching team come together and we pray and we seek the Lord and we ask God, what do you want us to share? What, what do you want us to present to our house, and what does this community of faith need? And the Beatitudes series was a series that the Lord had laid on my heart. And as I began to kind of put things together and I shared it, the team takes that and then they begin to put together their own sermons out of the direction that is given from the main lead or myself in this case around that series. And the way that Pastor Steve presented this past week really opened my eyes to something so amazing about the Beatitudes. You see, for the longest time in reference to the Beatitudes, I found myself trying to be poor in spirit. I would try to force myself to be poorer in spirit. That's how I get blessed. So I need to get on my knees and I need to humble myself. And there was this push on my efforts to try to be these things that the Beatitudes pushed me towards. But what Pastor Steve helped us to see that it is not that. It is full of grace. It is full of love. The Beatitudes push us to Jesus. Not to our own efforts, but they push us to the love of heaven and when you look at the Beatitudes through that lens, it helps you to see how much God loves you and how much he has done for you. My goal today is to continue on that thrust that Pastor Steve set us on this past week and encourage you and help you to see that God is very near to you right now and that he loves you beyond belief at times, beyond your ability to fathom. Jesus Christ loves you. He pushes through space and time to get to you you specifically, because he loved you before the foundations of the earth. And when you recognize that, I don't care how old you are or how long you follow Jesus, it does something in here. It changes things because 2020 has been quite discouraging in many ways. But when we look to Jesus Christ and we realize how much he loves us, it changes everything. It helps us to step out in faith in such a manner that we began to make a difference in the world around us. And so today, I want to help us to do that a little bit more by looking at the second beatitude. I'm not just going to read the text on 5-4, uh, but I'd like to start at verse 1 and read all the way through what we learned past, this past week into uh, the verse 4 that we'll be studying together today. And for reference, I don't know if you can see it or not, uh, I have a couple black eyes forming. My wife did not uh, do anything to me. She tried to say that she's the one that put me in line. That is not the case. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and point that out, that I was at jujitsu and I, there was someone bigger than me, uh, but you should see how he looks. So I'm just going to say that. <laughs> but all right, so that's out of the way, so you're not distracted anymore by my black eyes. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. 
He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He would go on to say, blessed are those who mourn, for they might be comforted, for they could be comforted, for they should, for they will be comforted. It's amazing to me, this text, and we got to put ourselves in this situation. This is the first century, and the way that Jesus is talking is kind of similar to the way that some of the Jewish proverbs would come out. And they would state different things in this same kind of cadence. There'd be this, blessed are they who do these things. And there would be a cadence to the way he's speaking. So he, he's speaking in a term or a phrasing that would be normal to the people of this time. Furthermore, we got to put ourselves in the situation and understand that this is a rabbi. If this is a Jewish rabbi teaching his disciples in this moment. And there's a bunch of people that are gathering to listen to this rabbi. And this is important because in this moment, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Most of the religious leaders would not tell you that mourning would lead you to blessing. They would tell you how to get away from mourning to find your blessing. You see, the religious leaders of the day, all of the other rabbis would teach you how to check your check boxes to get to the blessed life. It was a religious process. This is what you got to do. These are the things that you have to do according to the check boxes of the religion of the day. And they would say, this is how you're going to get to blessing. But this rabbi, Jesus, shows up and he preaches something so radical. He flips it upside down in these moments. And he says, blessed are those who mourn. Again, we learned last week that he literally says, blessed are those who are crippled in spirit. They can do nothing for themselves in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And the term mourn actually means grieving or weeping. And he says, blessed are those people. And so he's flipping it upside down because again, all of the religious leaders would tell us what we needed to do to avoid mourning, to avoid weeping, to avoid sorrow. Now we got to take this into consideration as well. It's not just a first century rabbi. Jesus, as we know, is God. God with flesh on and so not only is it crazy that a rabbi would radically flip these teachings upside down, it's absolutely revolutionary when God speaks it. God speaks these phrases, and when Jesus, God, speaks these phrases, he doesn't say things by accident. He doesn't mince words. When he says, blessed, and we learned last week, Pastor Steve helped us to see that blessed means that you're going in the right way, that you're stepping on the path or the direction that God would have for you, the thing that God intends for your life. That is the blessed life. And when you're walking in those ways, then that is the place that God wants you to be, and you are blessed. But God says you are blessed when you're walking into mourning. It's revolutionary. You see, in these moments when Jesus speaks, he shows us something that will change your life. And this is what Pastor Steve helped us to see, and it's so much more that I want you to see today. Blessed are those who mourn, because in mourning, we cannot change it ourselves. You can't stop the loss. 
You can't stop the sorrow. We can't fix it. And in these moments, he says, blessed are those because of Jesus. That's the answer. You see, Jesus is the answer. In all of these moments, the mourning, the poor in spirit, we cannot fix them. But we know the one who can. And so we're blessed because it drives us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the blessing. Jesus is where we are blessed. And so in the midst of these moments where it says there is mourning and there is poor in spirit, that's what we've learned so far. We see that there is love. There is mercy. There is grace. There is Jesus. And this is what Jesus wants us to understand in these moments. Again, he doesn't mince words. And so when he uses the term mourning, he says it, but it does not just reference one thing. You see, in the original language, the mourning that he's speaking of, the sorrow, the weeping, the upset in your spirit that you feel that he's referring to is this type of weeping that can mean for the here and now, the temporal and the eternal. He said, if you're sorrowful for this in the here and now, the loss, the pain, the discouragement, I will bring you comfort. And he says over here in the same way, if you're sorrowful over your sin, over the poor in spirit that he referenced just moments ago, I will bring you comfort. He is the comfort. He is the comfort in these moments. He is our inheritance. Jesus is everything. And so today I'd like to look at three different ways that he showcases this truth through our mourning. Because he is our comfort when we're mourning over circumstances. He is our comfort when we are mourning over sin. And he is our comfort when we are mourning over the lost. And I want to show you that in each of those different ways and how that kind of applies to our life. Again, mourning is weeping. It's not just being slightly discouraged, but it is deep upsetness inside of who we are. Mourning over circumstances. I have four boys and um, I reference them all the time. My two youngest sons, though, are very close in age. And you might not know this, but we were not expecting a fourth son. And we were surprised that we had our fourth son. And so we, they were very close in age, 18 months or so apart, give or take. And um, there were so many times that people thought they were twins. Uh, because they were so close in age. That's, and they were, listen, these two are the best of friends. Like inseparable. Lie for each other, cover each other's bad behaviors. That, listen, I could torture them and they would not tell me, they would not rat each other out. They are the best of friends. Tweedledee and Tweedledum, I call them. <laughs> and then I always tell them to pick which one's the Tweedledum. Uh, but it, it, they're the best of friends, my two youngest boys, and they have a special relationship. And I love watching them interact. Recently, there's been this moment, and you probably have seen this moment if you've raised children or maybe even with your own brothers or sisters, you've experienced this. The youngest of the two is 10 and he came to my wife and I and he said, I would like to build a blanket fort. 
I said, praise God, that's amazing. I got all boys, that's the stuff we do, right? And so he went in and he wanted to build this blanket fort in his room and he took every blanket we had and he built this fort and he went to his partner in crime, his brother, and he said, hey, come play in this blanket fort with me. I built this, would you come help me? And it was that moment, that definitive moment that happens where one brother no longer wanted to play little kid things because he's more interested in girls and video games. And he said, I don't want to play. I'm too big for that now. My youngest son came to my wife and he was crying, torn apart. I mean, just inside, like, you don't want to play with me? <laughs> you want to spend time with me anymore? He was mourning. And he went, and my wife held him, and she comforts him and begins to console him. And he was here on Wednesday, and as I tell the story, he just began to cry. It's a tough spot for two best of friends to see their lives beginning to shift and change, and it happens. But there was mourning in that moment. You know what I believe? I believe that God, who cares about our eternity, also cares about our blanket forts. I believe that God cares about the things that bother us right now. The things that we mourn over, the things that discourage us, the things that bring us sorrow right now. God is very much near to the brokenhearted. And I believe that because I see that in this text and I see it in the character of Jesus. It says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he's working right now in the midst of the moments of loss. Because I know there are you in this room that are losing loved ones or have lost loved ones this year. And that mourning means something to you. And do not think that the creator of the world will not be in the midst of these moments to comfort you. Because it says right here, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. They will be comforted. Paul would write in his letters and he would speak of the sorrows of this life as waves crashing on an ocean. Those moments that you think you're past something, but a song plays and it reminds you of that moment and you feel the sorrow all over again. The comfort of heaven is with us in the midst of that type of sorrow. The sorrow that keeps us up in the middle of the night. The weeping that comes from the, the discouragement of losing a job. The discouragement of relationships fragmenting. And the sorrow that comes from that. The brokenness in this life is something that our God still comforts us through. And I know this because he would tell his disciples, I have to leave. I have to go away. Because when I do, I will send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. You see, he cares about the mourning over your circumstances. He cares so much that he sent the Holy Spirit. He died on the cross, was buried and raised to life that you and I might have the Holy Spirit in our lives to comfort us through the most discouraging and sorrowful of moments. And in these moments, I'm like you. I want God to fix it. I always thought that comfort was you doing what I wanted you to do, God. I hate seeing my father losing his father right now. It breaks my heart. 
and I want God to fix it. I do not want to experience that loss or that pain. I do not want to experience that sorrow. Many of you in this room would love to have some sorrows or some mourning changed in your life. But can I tell you that just because you do not see his hand does not mean you cannot trust his heart. Because you do not get your way does not mean that God is not comforting you. He brings a peace that passes understanding. Even when his good does not match my goals, God is comforting me. Always and forever he is with me. He is working in these moments where you feel like your life is crumbling. And all of us in this room have lived through 2020. So you got some mourning somewhere. And I want you to know that in the midst of your mourning over your circumstances, the text helps us to see that you are blessed because Jesus is with you and he has sent the Holy Spirit to be your comforter and to give you a peace that passes understanding. It is that comfort that only heaven can bring. The text also emphasizes this, the mourning over sins. And I believe that Jesus is emphasizing this more than even the circumstances that we face. I believe he cares over the mourning over our circumstances that you and I will have. But I also know that the rest of the Bible teaches us that these things are temporal and they will fade and not to focus on them too much, but we're human and we will, and God will not leave us in the midst of those moments, but God is going to emphasize the eternal over the temporal. And in this text, especially when you look at the first verse, we see that the poor in spirit is our condition. The mourning is our response to it. The recognition of our condition drives us to mourning. And so ultimately in this text, Jesus is emphasizing that we will mourn over our sins, but we will be comforted. We will be comforted. That crippled nature, that human condition that we can do nothing about. That state that we try and we try to fix it, but we never can. God is with us in the midst of those moments. I'd like to read a passage from Romans chapter 7 to help you to see it a little clearer today. This is the Apostle Paul and he's regarding this fact that he cannot fix it himself. As we spoke earlier in our time together, I would tell you that the Beatitudes drive us to these understanding that we cannot do it ourselves. And Paul is referencing that beginning in verse 21. And he says this, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me. Waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Stop there. Do you hear the mourning? What a wretched man I am. I love God, but I cannot do things right. 
Even when I try, all that happens is I see how short I come. He literally says, I can't do it. God, I cannot do it. There is this, this mourning in his spirit over the sins that are inside of who he is in his human nature. He says, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I cannot get this right. Jesus would also reference this later in the Sermon on the Mount. He would point to this law. He would point to the ideals and he would say things like this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the, one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. This is Jesus pointing to the ideals. He would say, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And this is the religious leaders teaching them, check this box and you'll be blessed. Do it right and you'll be blessed. But Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. The ideal, I can't do it. He would say later in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully is already committed adultery with her in his heart. I can't do it. There is a mourning in Paul's letter. He says, no matter how hard I try, I cannot fix this condition that seems to be inside of me, this evil he calls it. I fall short of the law. Jesus references that the law is even more than these religious leaders were trying to say. That your condition is far more broken than you realize. You are far more poor in spirit. You are far more crippled in spirit than you realize. It is in these moments that we see what Jesus is trying to teach us. You see, if there is no need, then comfort is not necessary. If you are not mourning, then why do you need comfort? If you do not have a hurt, why do you need healing? If you do not have sin, why do you need a savior? Jesus points out to us in these moments that there is no way that we can reach these ideals. That the comfort that you and I need can only be found in him. In these moments, we see that it's required of us to have a repentant heart because repentance is freeing. Now I want to look back at what Paul was saying. Remember, wretched man that I am. Jesus says the mourning that we feel in here, the weeping that we feel in here over the poor in spirit condition that we have, we will be comforted. And look at what Paul says. 
in the midst of these moments. I want to start again with verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Verse 25, the comfort. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Verse 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Because of Jesus Christ, we are free, free indeed. If the Holy Spirit is the comforter for the circumstance, then Jesus Christ is the comforter for our souls. He is the comfort for our sin. He is the salvation. He is our savior. And so that mourning that we experience does no longer need to be mourning, but it turns to joy in Christ. It is comfort in Christ. I am not bound up to this poor in spirit condition that I might have as a young man because in Christ I am set free through his work on the cross and his resurrection. I think it's important to understand in these moments when we reference the mourning over sin, that mourning is different than shame and guilt. You see, mourning is recognizing I can't do it. I need you, God. And it drives us into the presence of Jesus Christ. The mourning presses us into heaven, not away from it. But shame and guilt causes us to turn away from God and go, God, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. And it causes us to move away from the salvation that we so desperately need. Shame and guilt is not to be called uh, mourning in these moments. It says in the text, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But the mourning that we experience drives us into the throne room of grace and in that moment, we feel comfort. I can't do it, but Jesus did. It's done. He took care of it. The scripture teaches us I only need to believe, to put my faith and trust in him. Those who mourn will be comforted. Will be comforted. The Holy Spirit will comfort you in the midst of your circumstances. And Jesus Christ has comforted us in the midst of our broken, poor in spirit and given us a righteousness that we could not obtain ourselves. Praise be to Jesus. Praise be to Jesus Christ for choosing a wretched man like me. Just as Paul would say, what a wretched man I am but so thankful for Jesus in my life. Not only does the text reference the idea over mourning of our circumstances and mourning over our sin, but also over the mourning over the lost. You see, in the same way that we're upset about our own sin, we're mourning over our own sin, we must mourn the broken state of all of humanity. We need to be in such a manner caring that we would pray and put attention towards our nation and the brokenness of our nation, our cities and the broken nature of our cities, 
all across the globe, there are those that are still bound up and trapped to this sinful lifestyle. And yet we have the comfort in Christ Jesus. And so our desire is that they would all know the love of Christ. And so there is a mourning in our spirit that drives us to care for the lost. Not just our sins, but the sins of the world deserve our attention and our prayers. And I believe this is the heart of heaven, BC, because there was a mourning in Jesus that led him to the mission of the cross. Because he cared so much, because he saw the crippledness of our, our spirit, he was willing to come and die for you and I. It drove him from heaven to this earth to pay the price for our sins. And that type of mourning is the mourning that we should have. For this morning that leads to mission is exactly who Jesus is. I'm not the greatest of brothers. Um, I have two brothers, and as our lives have shifted, much like my two younger boys, our relationship is different than it used to be. We've got families now. I don't talk to them as much as I used to, but um, I care, and I love my brothers. As a young man, I... My uh, two, there was a brother that was two years younger than me and then a brother that was eight years younger than me. Uh, my brother Anthony that was two years younger than me was my best friend on the planet. Um, and many times I've shared with you uh, the moments where he was diagnosed with cancer. And I share with you the faith of my mom and dad in those moments. The faith that they had just continually astounded me. And I don't really share with you my perspective of those moments of my brother navigating that very difficult season in our life. See, I was a young man in college. I just transferred from a small community college to a major university. And it just so happened that that major university is the same place that my brother would go for his treatments initially. And so he was placed in the hospital there at this university that I attended. And I would go to class, and then I would take what they would call the PRT. It was this almost like a railway system that would take you from the campuses downtown all the way up to the hospital. And it would actually go into the hospital, and you could uh, get off there, uh, again, like any subway system. And I would leave class downtown, and I would go up, and I would do my homework by my brother. And I remember this, moments of him, you know, just depleting in health. And I was a young man, he was an even younger man, and as a big brother, you protect your little brother. That's what you do. And it was a trying time for me because I couldn't. I couldn't protect him. And I remember this moment, and I'll never forget it, because they diagnosed him, and he had been through so many treatments at this point, he has no hair, and um, they bring him in because they had told him he only had a short time to live. I mean, it was the most devastating news I had ever heard in my life as a young man. It was very tra traumatic for me. But they brought him in, and there was a little chapel in the hospital. And they sat him in his wheelchair in that chapel, and they brought the family in to pray. And I remember going into that chapel to see my brother, who I thought I wasn't going to get to spend much time with. And I remember kneeling down beside him, and I remember placing my hand on his arm. And I remember praying, God, if there is anything I can do, anything. There was this um, mourning, sorrow 
upon sorrow inside of me, my best friend. And I could not fix it. I, I would pray fervently. And I'm a kid and I didn't even know how, how to pray. But I was praying. And I'm not the best brother in the world. But I loved him. And I remember praying and praying and praying and praying and thinking, God, why would you let this happen? Please fix this. If there's anything you can do, please. If there's anything I can do, please. And I would beg and I would beg in the midst of this little chapel in this little hospital at this university. It's my brother. That's what you do for your brother. You never give up hope. You love. You care. My brother is alive today and has beautiful children. And I believe is the power of the prayers of my family and the work of heaven. But I say all this to you. Because there are very sick brothers and sisters in this world today. They don't know there are brothers and sisters yet. That they're sick. And can I tell you right now, they do not need you to walk into their hospital room and get angry at them. Why are you this way? Why do you act like this? Don't do these things. Fix this and fix that. That's not what the sick in this world need. You know what they need? The morning from you and I over their condition that drives us to our knees. It says, Lord, if there is anything that you can do, do it now. Lord, if there's anything I can do, help me to do it right now. That's the morning for the lost. Not mad at them because of their condition. Not yelling at them on Facebook and Twitter. But getting into the mess with them in the midst of the hospitals. In the midst of the broken states that they find themselves in. And saying, I am here with you because you are my brother. And that is what brothers and sisters do. Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone. Not just the ones that we're okay with. Not just the ones that are easy to give light to. Everyone. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. You see, the morning over our circumstances, heaven sent the comforter. The morning over our sins, heaven sent Christ. And for the morning of the lost, heaven sent the church. And that is us. We are a catalyst for the comfort of those that are very much lost. In this text today, I pray that you would see how much heaven loves us, how much Jesus fights for us, how much he cares for us. And even in the midst of our mourning, he is with us. The Bible will say, though sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. 
If you mourn today, if you are repentant today over life, sin, and the lost, please be reminded, or for some of you, become mindful of the truth that though you mourn in Christ, you will be comforted. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching by Pastor Micah, and thank you for your continued support in this ministry. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible. For more information about our church and other ministries, visit us online at liftchurch.com.